Hi Church, great to see you. My name is Paul. I'm the senior pastor here at Church, if you haven't met before. I had the privilege this week of leading on the Alpha course. It was so amazing, so wonderful to see so many people investigating the claims of Christ. Can I encourage you to pray, to come along? It's not too late to join or to invite friends. But today we're starting a new sermon series in the book of Psalms. I love the Psalms. The Psalms are my go-to book. You know, when I'm feeling alone or anxious, I go to the Psalms. Uh, When I want words to say to God, God, why are you doing this? Where are you, God? I go to the Psalms. Uh, When I want to praise and adore God for who he is, I go to the Psalms. It's almost like the Psalms were written to equip and empower God's people to have words to express how they're feeling towards God. And that's why we're studying the Psalms in this year of enjoying God. And we've called this series, Though the Seasons Change. So we go through different seasons of life, the highs and the lows, and the psalm for each of those seasons. The psalms are prayers. It's a prayer book. And they do three things. They, they reveal God's character, show us who he is and what he's done. So they lift our eyes off ourselves and upwards to our God. They teach us how to relate to God, give us words to express And they always point us to our Lord Jesus Christ. And there are 150 psalms divided into five books. Uh, And they are poems. That's the genre. So please read this book as poems, not like a history book. Think about the language and the alliteration and the the stanzas and and the pauses. Uh, And they were written to equip God's people to know how best to relate to God through the person of Jesus Christ. They're not just uh, cherry-picked psalms. In this sermon series, we're to take you on the journey from from lament to praise, from individual to corporate. Uh, In his wonderful book, Christopher Ash has a great analogy I want to share with you. Imagine you're sitting in a concert hall, on the stage, on the platform, is the choir of God's people, led by the lead singer, Jesus Christ, who's also the conductor. And you are listening to them singing the psalms. And as you listen to them, you, you're thinking about the words, saying, I like that, or I, I'm confused by that. And then you start to feel emotional thoughts. And then you find yourself getting up out of your seat and, and walking down and onto the platform and joining in with the choir and singing these wonderful psalms. That's our goal, that you personally will be singing these psalms with Jesus Christ as your conductor and lead singer. So today we're going to start with Psalm 1 and next week Psalm 2 because they're the two pillars, the, the gateway into the Psalms. I'm excited to preach, so sit back and let's hear Psalm 1. Good morning. This morning we're going to read from Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree, planted by the rivers of water, that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so but are like the shaft which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. 
For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. True happiness. That is our theme for Psalm 1 today. It was Aristotle who said that happiness is the meaning and purpose of life, the aim and the end of our existence. And we love that. We live for that, this constant quest for happiness, this deep desire to be happy. I guess that's why Pharrell Williams' song was so successful, because we're happy. Clap along if you know what happiness is for you. We're the happy people, aren't we? Well, not according to Kira Billy. When we surveyed Kirby five years ago for our One Question for God series, this was a top question. God, why am I so unhappy when I have so much? That is fascinating. We may be richer, but we're not happier. A few years ago, the ABC did a report on happiness based on wealth and health and family and friends and rest and respect. And these are the top five happiest countries in the world. Here we go. Paraguay, Panama, Guatemala, Nicaragua and Ecuador. And Australia is way down that list, but I'm not surprised. Because most Australians seek happiness without God. Most Australians seek happiness based on their circumstances, on their happenings. So if I asked you what makes you happy, you might say, I'm happy when I go for a run or eat good food or have good wine or enjoy friendships. But what happens when you can't go for a run or you can't eat food or the friends aren't there? Are you then unhappy? Because happiness based on your circumstances is fleeting. Well, Psalm 1 is all about true happiness. Uh, this, this carefully crafted poem is three pairs of verses. Verses 1 and 2 are all about listening. Verses 3 and 4 all about living. Verses 5 and 6 all about longing. And here's Psalm 1 in a nutshell. True happiness is only found in listening to God and living for God and longing for eternity. The key word is the first word, blessed. See that? Blessed is the one. Uh, One translation says this, how very happy is the one. Uh, To be blessed means to to live under the favour of God, to experience true contentment and true satisfaction and true security and true happiness. The blessed one is that deep-seated happiness. Now, please don't miss me. I'm not talking about that surface emotion called happiness. Uh, Don't feel guilty if you're not always cheerful or always smiling. That is not biblical happiness. Biblical happiness is this deep-seated satisfaction and contentment and security and joy in God. Sam Storm says this, The single most important principle I have ever discovered is this. The goal or purpose of the Christian life is precisely the pursuit of happiness, but happiness in God. The reason for this is there is no greater way to glorify God than to find in him the happiness that my soul so desperately craves. So three points today, and the first is by far the longest. Number one, true happiness is found in listening to God. Listening to God. Listening to God's voice, the right voice. 
Because every day we are bombarded by different voices. Every day we have so-called facts and wisdom and advice and opinion come from all directions. From the conversation at work, from the movies we watch, from the news that we listen to, all telling us how to live. And it's not all helpful. Because uh, there is good and bad and there is a right way and a wrong way to live. There is true and there's false. And the psalmist is saying, don't listen to the wrong voice. Look at that in verse 1. Blessed or happy is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in a way that sinners take, or sit in a company of mockers. See those three words, wicked, sinners and mockers. And when you hear those words, don't think, you know, the most depraved criminal, or the mass murderer, or the immoral person you can tut at. The wicked, the sinners, and the mockers are just ways that the Bible used to describe anybody who tries to do life without God. Literally, it's, it's crossing a boundary, it's doing the wrong thing, it's missing a mark, it's not doing the right thing, it's, it's scoffing and ignoring God. And Psalmist is saying, don't listen to those people. The Psalmist says, don't walk in step with the wicked, or literally in the counsel of the wicked. Don't listen to worldly wisdom. It will not make you happy. So the advertising industry is constantly selling the perfect lifestyle or the perfect gadget to make you happy. Don't listen to that. The music industry is filling your mind with lying lyrics about what to think or how to feel. Don't listen to that. That friend who tells you, if it feels good, good, just do it, don't listen to that. The, the news outlet with a biased worldview, don't listen to it. The psalmist goes on, or stand in the way that the sinners take. That word way is literally the, the walk or the lifestyle, because the world promotes a lifestyle which is warped. I mean, the world's view of marriage and singleness of how to treat people, the poor and the needy, on greed or revenge, it is warped. Uh, the world that we live in has this way of celebrating sin and, and somehow turning right into wrong and wrong into right. Don't listen to that. He goes on, verse 1, or, or sit in the company of mockers. See the progression? You're walking, now you're standing, and now you're sitting, that settled position that you are scoffing. And every day, you'd have your radars up, be discerning what you listen to. It's almost like you make a deliberate choice every day. Is this good? Is this right? Is this helpful? I mean, even the Christian books that we read, there are many so-called Christian books that are, are peppered with a few Bible verses, but they're basically teaching worldly psychology. Or sermons that are wonderfully entertaining, but they're not biblically true. So don't listen to that, says the psalmist, but, verse 2, I love verse 2, but listen to God's voice, whose delight is in the, the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. Uh, he's saying, listen to God. Sat yourself in, yourself in the word of God. Just devour the word of God. Now that law of the Lord is literally the instructions of the Lord. He's not just talking about the, the first five books of the Bible or the five books of Psalms. He's saying the whole counsel of God, the whole word of God. 
Because all scriptures God breathed is used for teaching and training and correcting and rebuking. And the, the scriptures according to 1 Peter contain everything that you need for life and godliness. And so when you sit under God's word, you, you are being equipped to have you know, the best marriage or the best friendships or the best work or the best attitude. It's all there in scripture. That, that phrase, the law of the Lord, I hope you know that God's law is not restrictive, it's actually liberating. The law is not a set of rules that you need to keep to earn your relationship with God. It's the way to enjoy your relationship with God because God knows the best way to live. Now, look at those words, delight. Whose delight is in the law of the Lord. So that the word delight is a, an emotional experience. The delight in, in seeing someone you love, a child that you love, ride a bike or a meal with a loved one, you feel it. You delight in the law of the Lord. You sit with your Bibles open and it's like God is, is speaking to you personally by His Spirit, the living and active Word of God. Samuel Coleridge said this, I found in the Bible words for my inmost thoughts, songs for my joy, utterances for my hidden griefs, and pleadings for my shame and my feebleness. Uh, to be happy means to delight in God's word. It's not a duty, it's a delight. It's not a, a task, it's a treasure. And that second word, to meditate, who meditates on God's Lord day and night. When you hear that word meditate, please don't think Eastern mystical meditation. That's about emptying your mind and sitting in silence. That's not biblical meditation. Biblical meditation is filling your mind and speaking, filling your mind with wonderful truths about who God is, what he's done, what's the best way to live. It's sitting, chewing over the words, saying, what does that word mean? Oh, I like that. Oh, I don't like that. It's speaking to yourself, saying, why is God telling me to do that? I meditate on lots of verses of Scripture. You know, when I've stuffed up again, and when I feel such a wretch, I bring to mind Romans chapter 7. The things I don't want to do, I keep on doing, and the things I do want to do, I don't do. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me? Thanks be to God who gives me the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom there's no condemnation. When I'm envious of the world, I, I bring to mind Psalm 73. Whom have I in heaven but you, and earth has nothing I desire besides you, God. When I need help, I bring to mind Psalm 121. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. When I feel unloved, I bring to mind 1 John chapter 3. How great the love the Father has lavished on me, that I might be called a child of God, and that is what I am. See, as you meditate on God's Word, it, it sits in your soul and it feeds you day and night, constantly and consistently. Uh, George Whitfield says this, I began to read the Holy Scriptures upon my knees, laying aside all other books and praying over, if possible, every line and every word, and this proved meat and drink for my soul. And I daily received fresh light, fresh life and power from above. So please, friends, dig into God's Word. Devour God's Word. That's the happiest way to live. 
Do it by yourself. Do it with other people. I'm actually using the Bible in a Year app this year, and I'm loving it. I don't care how you do it, just do it. So the, the true happiness is found in listening to God. Number two, true happiness is found in living for God. Living a purposeful, prosperous, happy life. Let's look at verses three and four. And again, we'll start with a negative. Verse three, that person, the person who devours God's word is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. But, verse 4, not so the wicked, not so the person who chooses to ignore God. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. Now, being called chaff is not a compliment. Uh, Chaff is weightless, it is worthless, it's useless. Uh, It has no lasting value, so the wind comes, it's all just blown away. That's what the psalmist is saying about happiness anywhere but God. When you seek your happiness in the stuff of this world, it just doesn't last, it doesn't satisfy. Jim Carrey, the actor, said this, I think everyone should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of doing to see it's not the answer. Or Russell Brand says this, I grew up thinking it'd be good to have stuff, good to be invited to the party. Well, I've been invited, chatted in super cool rooms with everyone ridiculously good looking. It just isn't worth it. I still feel empty inside, it doesn't feed the soul. You can have a full fridge, a full house, a full wardrobe, a full bank account, a full diary, a full bedroom, yet an empty soul. It's all chaff. My friendships fail and fitness is fleeting and wealth is worthless and success is seasonal. It doesn't last. But the contrast in verse 3 is the one who seeks true happiness in God and his word. Verse 3, that person is, is like a tree, I love that image, a tree that is strong and sturdy, planted by streams of water, life-giving, nutritious water. A, a, tree, a tree absorbs gallons of water every day, it needs it, and when it gets it, it is strong and it's fruitful. That's the picture of a tree. Uh, when the, the droughts come and the storms come, a tree is not shaken. And a tree is bearing fruit in season, the good fruit and the right season of life. That's a picture of the best way to live, a sturdy and a fruitful life. Uh, the word used in verse 3 is actually the word prosper. Let me be clear there, it's not talking about the, the prosperity gospel. The Bible does not say the more you love God, the, the bigger house or the better life you'll live. He's not saying the more you give to God, the more you get in terms of earthly possessions. That is a wrong gospel. But that word prosper is saying a happy, beautiful, steady, sturdy, fruitful life. Now, when we transplant ourselves out of the wrong environments and put ourselves under the nutritious Word of God, we live a prosperous life. We are sturdy, we're not shaken. And so when the, the droughts come, when you are spiritually dry, you're not shaken because the Word of God is dwelt in your hearts. And, and when the relational dryness comes, as we're doing at the moment, we're okay, we're not shaken, we are sad, but we're not shaken. 
When the storms come, the sickness and the sadness and the disappointments and disasters, we cry and we grieve and we hurt, but we're not shaken. And we're living fruitful lives, bearing fruit for God's glory and for the benefit of other people. I think my mother-in-law is the most wonderful Christian lady, and she oozes love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and and self-control. She oozes the fruit of the Spirit. I think of the couple at church who are using the gifts of the Spirit to bear fruit. Their gifts of teaching and encouragement and caring for the poor and needy. They're pouring themselves out for God and they're living a happy life. Friends, that is the best life to live. A sturdy, fruitful life, a prosperous life, lived for God's glory. Spurgeon said this, A Bible that's worn and falling apart usually belongs to somebody who is not falling apart because we're equipped to face whatever trial, whatever hardship, and living a sturdy, fruitful life for God's glory. So a true happiness found in listening to God and living for God, and lastly, longing for eternity. Longing for eternity, because you might say, I know people, Paul, who, who don't believe in God, and they are happy, and they are prosperous, leading a nice life. That is all true, except for eternity. Now, if, t- if eternity does not exist, if this life is all there is, then sure, they pursue fleeting happiness and have the most fun you possibly can, eat, drink and be merry. But if this life is not all there is, and if there is death, and if there is a, a day where you're going to stand before your maker and give an account, and if eternity is real, and if heaven is real, that place where there's no sickness, no sadness, no suffering, and no pain, and that place of perfect happiness, then you've got to be prepared for that. I remember Mr. Eternity? His name is Arthur Stace, who wrote that word eternity half a million times on the pavements of Sydney. That word was on Harbour Bridge on New Year's Eve in the year 2000. He was wonderfully converted by the Lord Jesus Christ out of drunkenness and prostitution. And he realised living for eternity was the most important thing. That's where our psalmist ends. Verses 5 and 6. The wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. He's saying, those who choose to live without God now will not stand on that last day. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction, leads to hell, leads to a place where there's nothing good. It's really simple. The righteous go to heaven and the wicked go to hell. So what are you living for? What are you longing for? A student was asked that question, what are you longing for? They said, I'm longing for a first class distinction. And then what? Oh, then do a PhD. And then what? Oh, then I'll travel the world. And then what? I'd like to get married and have kids. And then what? Oh, I'd like to retire and travel the world some more. And then what? Oh, then I'll get old and then I'll die. And then what? That's the most important question. And then what? If eternity exists, and if that is a place of true happiness, then make sure that you are the righteous who are there. But that's the question. How do you know that you're righteous? Because I'm not confident I can stand before God on the last day in my own righteousness. 
because I haven't always delighted in God's word and I haven't always done what is right. I've been selfish, I've been proud, I've stuffed up. I am not perfect. The Bible says no one is righteous, not even one. You're not and I'm not. But there is one man who was righteous and his name was Jesus Christ. And the righteous man, Jesus Christ, lived a righteous life and died a horrific death. Listen carefully, so that you, so that you might stand on that last day, not in your own righteousness, but clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So when God looks at you, if you're trusting in Christ, he sees Christ in you. And so you are guaranteed, you are sure of this perfect eternity with true happiness. And that's what I live for, that's what I long for. This world is not all there is, and the fleeting stuff of this world does not satisfy. See, true happiness is only found in listening to God's word, living God's way, and longing for God's eternity. I'll finish this quote from Charles Spurgeon. He says this, Those who are the beloved of the Lord must be the most happy and joyful people to be found anywhere upon the face of this earth. Let me pray. Father, thank you for that true happiness that we find in Christ. Help us to listen to him and to live for him and to long for him and to find our deepest security and our satisfaction in him alone. And we ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen.